if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks. It's 10 o'clock, and we are rolling on this Thursday, the 25th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2021. Thanks again to Dave Ray from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. And now we say welcome to our regular Thursday guest. We are treated to the wisdom of Dr. Everett Piper. He is a former university president. He is a current columnist for the Washington Times. He's a best-selling author, which we are going to discuss in detail in a moment. And he is a radio host as well in his native Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, welcome back. Good to have you. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Before we talk about your status as a best-selling author and an upcoming book and whether or not it's going to have a chance to become a bestseller uh, due to cancel culture, I want to hit first the most pressing issue of the day. The House today is reportedly going to be taking up their vote on the Equality Act, um, which you and I have spent a great deal of time discussing over the course of the last year or so. Uh, this has been in the works for a while now. It just wasn't going to get a uh, uh, any uh, headway until now. But the Equality Act is a very, very dangerous thing uh, for a lot of different reasons. Some people think that those who oppose it are just simply bigots who are homophobic, et cetera, et cetera. But my goodness, I had to a pastor on the program yesterday, we ran down all of the different dangers this poses for women, for girls, for uh, 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 the church, for doctors, medical personnel, for so many others. I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of uh, speak your last second uh, thoughts on on uh, the Equality Act and what uh, why, why our legislators, why our members of the House today should uh, should vote against this. Well, there's so many good articles out there right now that tell you why this is a terrible idea. I would recommend recommend everybody go to the Heritage Foundation website and Google that and read the myths. I think it's 11, maybe 15 myths of the Equality Act. They go through it very clearly, and they summarize exactly what it is and what you're being told by the mainstream media and the Democrats and why those things are myths, i.e. lies, and what you need to know in terms of the truth of the Equality Act. Here's the bottom line, and I'm repeating myself as well as probably you and the host that you had, or excuse me, the guest you had on yesterday, the pastor. That's okay. Number one, the Equality Act is misogynistic. It's misogyny. It degrades women. It tells women that they are not biological facts. 
Women do not exist any longer in the United States of America. You have no rights if you're a female because you're not a fact. You are a fantasy. You are a fabrication. You are nothing but a leprechaun and a unicorn. You are make-believe because if somebody who is a male, a biological male, wants to pretend that he is a woman, he can take your shower, take your bathroom, take your sport, take your scholarship, take your dignity, and take your very identity away from you. That is a fact. That is what is going on in the Equality Act. So it is misogynistic. And by the way, this misogyny by the transgendered woman, i.e. the male who is stealing the identity of the female, is nothing but blackface. It is the equivalent of blackfacing women. It is cultural appropriation to the max. It is as insulting as white people blackfacing and mocking and maligning and belittling blacks as the result of doing that. This is the blackfacing of women because it is, a, it is appropriating the very identity of women under this guise, this disguise of men pretending to be females. This is insulting. Every woman, I don't care if you're, are, if you're progressive, I don't care if you're conservative, I don't care if you're um, classical liberal or libertarian, I don't care who you are. If you're a woman, you should be appalled, appalled by the Equality Act. And let me say one other thing. I'll shift sure. over to religious freedom. Okay. If you're Catholic, if you're Mormon, if you're Protestant, if you're Evangelical, if you're Orthodox Jew, um, if you're Muslim, you should care. Because this is going to force any place of public accommodation, a gas station, a restaurant, a daycare, um, a marriage chapel, the list goes on. Any place of public accommodation will have to comply with this because this will be civil rights law. So if I own a gas station and I don't want to hire a guy who is 6'5", 250 pounds, who wants to come in dressed in a miniskirt and size 15 pumps and a wig and nail polish and women's jewelry and eye makeup, if I don't want to hire him because I feel he'll hurt my business because people will not feel comfortable about this, I will be found guilty of violating civil rights law. If I own a daycare and I don't want to hire that guy, I will be found guilty of violating civil rights law. This is appalling. Everybody should call their senator, their senator right now and say, no, here I stand. I can do no other. No. The only hope we have of stopping this is the Senate. Call your senator and say no. Everybody should call Joe Manchin in, uh, in, in uh, West Virginia yeah. and tell him, no, no. Okay, I'll take a breath, Bob. No, that was phenomenal. And I, you did repeat some of the stuff that we talked about yesterday. It needs to be. I mean, seriously, we need to sound this alarm and repeat it over and over and over again. And I completely concur. We need to impress upon the one or two maybe moderate or maybe reasonable people on the Democrat side of the Democrat-controlled Senate to to uh, to oppose this. But, you know, it's, it's such death. It, this is cancel culture time. Uh, Dr. Piper, and as you know, in fact, we're going to talk again about the cancellation of authors because they write about this kind of thing. 
Um, but this is cancel culture. If Joe Manchin or anybody else does not toe the party line here and does not, uh, you know, bow to the uh, to the uh, orthodoxy of the moment here, um, he will be branded as transphobic and homophobic and uh, unfair, uh, or uh, you know, unfair to uh, people in the LGBTQ community. And that is just something that politicians can't risk today, especially if they are liberal politicians or need liberals to support their candidacy for re-election. So I, I fear, I agree with you. We got to try, but I fear that people like Manchin and others they will not, uh, they will not have the intellectual and, uh, uh, you know, the spiritual courage to do the right thing here. Well, you you may be right, but uh, one of the quotes I've I've ventured on your show repeatedly is that of Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. We don't have the option of being silent, because silence in the face of evil, and this is blatantly evil. This is evil. There's no question. When you, when you tell women they don't even exist, that's evil. When you tell women that they have to allow a man in their shower, that's evil. When you tell 17-year-old girls that they have to compete against boys because the boys are pretending to be girls in track, that's evil. This is blatantly evil. Again, I'm going back to my original point. It is misogynistic to the max. It is hateful towards women, and it is black-facing women because it is a parody. It is cultural appropriation of the female. And women should rise up in mass and say no. And if they did, we would win. We would win this. You're you're thousand percent correct, and it is it is all of those things. And to the sports aspect of this, I saw an interview this morning with one of the girls in Connecticut, Alana, and I. Gosh, I apologize for forgetting the young girl's name, but she said uh, she has a twin brother. He's fourteen years. Well, both were fourteen year old twin brother, obviously, and she said he does not compete. He is not an athlete. She is one of the fastest women or girls in the state. He does not run competitively, but when they race each other, he wins every time. This is her statement. So that's if there's anything that you know underscores the point here, that it is completely unfair to ask girls to run against boys, here is a twin. So they are biologically and genetically essentially from the same zygote, for goodness sakes. But one of them is male and one of them is female, and the female is one of the fastest females in the entire state, but her brother beats her. So what does that tell you? Oh, it- it's just it's just one anecdote that is grounded in facts, not feelings, and it's also common sense because it is sense that is common. It's scientifically valid. In other words, you're the pro-science guy right now because you're arguing for facts. And again, if we would coalesce around this message of being pro-woman, being classically feminist, being classically liberal because we believe in liberty and not, not government largesse, if we would coalesce around the classical messages, the classics of the Constitution, if you will, we could win this. And I also will challenge every woman listening right now, why in the world would you remain silent while this stuff is happening? We need you. We need the women to rise up and say no, because men will not be heard, because we'll be branded as phobic and toxic. Women need to rise up in mass and say, don't blackface me. Stop it. Stop appropriating my gender. You're not a female. And stop pretending you can come into my shower and come into my bathroom and come into my sport and steal my scholarship. Stop it. 
That is one of the best statements I think I've heard about this. Women are the ones who have to step up here. Women much more so than men. Like you said, we will be branded as the homophobic, transphobic, pick your phobic of the day. Women have a much better chance of swaying and convincing people that this is unfair to them, and they really do need to kind of take the lead here. All right, Dr. Piper, we're going to take a time out. We're going to come back and talk about cancel culture. We're going to talk about Ryan Anderson's book. And we're going to talk about your upcoming book in April and what chance it even has in this arena of cancel culture. That's coming up next, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1024, I've got six good minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper to cover two very important topics. The first one, Dr. Piper, we're going to talk about is cancel culture. Dr. Ryan T. Anderson wrote a book called When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. It was very well received. It was very well uh, regarded until, of course, uh, the cancel culture took over. Now, the book has been removed from uh, websites, some of the most popular uh, sites that promote and sell books, uh, because they didn't like the content. It wasn't mocking. It wasn't belittling. It wasn't degrading. It was just simply something they did not like, and now it's not going to be there to not a daycare um go ahead and take that from dr anderson's book to your book and tell me whether or not you think you're even going to have an opportunity to sell this thing online okay um real quick on anderson's book i've met ryan anderson in fact i actually had him speak at my campus when i was the university president (laughs) ryan anderson is a consummate scholar he's brilliant he speaks about the philosophy of marriage the philosophy of male and female relationships. In other words, he has great depth, 10 times the depth of any politician who's thinking around with the Equality Act. Ryan Anderson's book is not a um, pedestrian read. It's good scholarship. It has been affirmed by professors from Johns Hopkins, from Oxford, from Princeton, and from Columbia. They have affirmed Ryan Anderson's research because it is good scholarship. And yet Apple and um, Amazon Amazon have canceled it because they just wanted to. They don't even give a reason why. They didn't call Anderson up and say, hey, by the way, we've got some people that are complaining about this. Can you help us explain it a little better? Because uh, no, no, they don't go there. They just cancel it without telling you. And now Ryan Anderson can't sell that book on Amazon.com. And it was a number one bestseller. This should frighten everybody. This is nothing short than 1933 bonfires of books in Berlin. That is what's taking place right now. These snowflakes that were going to Berkeley and Brown back in 2014-15 have graduated, and now they're sitting in the back rooms of Amazon and Apple, and they're controlling the world. They're deciding what words and what ideas and what books you can buy and read and digest as an individual. They're laughing at you. They're telling you, we will not even allow you to sell your book, and we won't allow anybody to read it because we don't like your ideas because we feel threatened. You triggered us. It was a microaggression. We don't like your ideas. <laughs> this is stunning that the American culture is allowing this to happen. And why does it have anything to do with my book? My book is uh, titled Grow Up. And it is the sequel 
to not a daycare. And if you think that Ryan Anderson is being, uh, <laughs> if you think I'm not going to get canceled because um, I'm somehow nicer <laughs> and more nuanced than Ryan Anderson in addressing these issues, I've got a bridge to sell you in the desert. I don't think there's a snowball's chance in Texas of my book actually making it through the system. Now, here's the thing, and this is shameless self-promotion for everybody listening right now. It hasn't. You can order my book. You can pre-order my book. It is on Amazon.com right now. In other words, you can go out and pre-order it before it's actually released on April 13th. And it's actually, I think, discounted at 50% if you do so. I want everybody to go out and buy my book right now before Amazon cancels it because you can pre-order it today, get a discount on it, and beat these little uh, thought police, these, uh, these Amazon Nazis, at their own game by buying these books before they cancel them. Yeah, as soon as the critics start reading it and then start reviewing it and start being offended by it, which is, of course, their nature, that's when you're right. That's when they will move to have it pulled. Enough people will complain, and how, how dare you even put this stuff available for sale, this uh, you know, this biased, racist, phobic, blah, blah, blah stuff. Uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. So uh, do not feel ashamed at all. Make those shameless plugs. I will continue to do it myself as well while you can find it there. And then I assume there's a plan B, right, another place to go if uh, – if and when Amazon and the critics there strike? Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, Barnes & Noble has not been as prone to cancel culture as Amazon and Apple. Uh, they're still carrying. You can still go to Barnes & Noble and buy Ryan Anderson's book. In fact, I encourage you to do that. Go buy. How do we beat these guys at their own game? Go buy these books. The best thing you can do, it'll only cost you 15 or 20 bucks. Go buy these books in mass. Go buy five of them and give them away. Go buy 20 of them and use them as Christmas gifts. Go buy Ryan Anderson's books by, in, the, in, in mass and beat these guys at their own game and give, give, give Barnes & Noble all the income. That's what you can do right now. But again, yeah. I, <laughs> when you buy Ryan Anderson's book, buy mine too. Again, it's titled Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. And we're going to have a full-on in conversation about that. We may do a full half hour. We may have you on for a full hour one of these uh, weeks, uh, Dr. Piper, leading up to the release of that book. And we'll spend you know half the time on just the book. And we'll talk just about the, some of the content. I need an advanced copy of it myself so that I can have a look-see and we can have a great discussion on it. Because I loved Not a Daycare. Anybody in my audience who read Not a Daycare is probably, you just cannot wait to see Grow Up and read the sequel here. So uh, we'll definitely make sure that we do that. And uh, I, I agree with you. we got to buy these books. Buy, buy Ryan. Anderson's book. That one's called When Harry Met Sally. Let's just respond pockets of uh, the people who are saying these things, hoping to discourage people from writing future you know, books like this in the future. And uh, our best way to fight that is to encourage them to do it by making them profitable. Buy those books. Dr. Piper, we won't have time for your um, response to Max Locato. We can perhaps talk about that next week, but terrific stuff today. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, blessings. Take care. All right, 1030 now in time for the news. We'll uh, come back with uh, open lines. We'll have free-for-all Thursday, kind of, sort of, over the course of the next 25, 30 minutes. Dial now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Right back.
Okay, 1037. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer, we've got 23 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you. And uh, top of the hour, you're going to have some Gallagher. Then you're going to get yourself some Kirk, then some Prager. Uh, finish out your workday with Gorka. Then uh, start your evening with uh, Jay Seculo and Larry Elder. It's just, uh, I, I'm proud of it. You know, I've said many times since the death of Rush Limbaugh uh, that Rush is the gold standard. Rush was, I mean, there's a reason why he had the golden microphone, if you will. Um, and he's the OG. He's the original uh, conservative, uh, you know, I think the original um, sponsor of conservative pride in America. It made people feel like it's okay to say out loud the things that they felt about our country and the ideals and values that we held. I just love Rush so much for that. But having said that, Rush being the gold standard, I don't think there's any better lineup. I don't, I don't think there's any better lineup in American radio than what we offer you. Between Hugh and I'll skip over myself, really, but you know the nationally syndicated guys that do such amazing work, like Prager and like you know we added Charlie Kirk now and and uh, Larry Elder and I mean it's just I don't think there's a better lineup. So if you really want the truth and you really want it in an entertaining and uh, uh, informative and educational way, you stay right here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer that's just the best that I can say. I told a story. <clears throat> Before we go to the phone calls, I told the story in the uh, first segment that I didn't intend to tell. But here's one that I do intend to tell. The first one was about uh, the school-wide email that condemned a student for calling Candace Owens a black trailblazer. This was a black student union assignment in which members were told to choose a black trailblazer and do a little presentation on them. One student chose Candace Owens, and she was destroyed for it in her. Different. Now we're back to the area and the issue of race hoaxes. Um, Hugh Hewitt featured the story this morning, which is where I first heard it, and then I read up a little bit on it before I came on the air, um, at Smith College. Smith College, if you do not know, is just a notorious uh, liberal institution for the elite of the elite. Uh, it's a $78,000 a year college. Let me say that number to you again. It's $78,000 a year at Smith College. And it's just uh, out there. It's, it, it, you know, it makes Oberlin look tame by comparison, right? All right, that might be extreme because I don't think anything can make t- uh, Oberlin look tame. But Hugh told the story of um, something that happened in 2018 but is just now becoming mainstream media knowledge. And believe it or not, of all places, it's the New York Times that ran this story this week to set the record straight about what happened. And I'll give you the thumbnail sketch version so I can get to your phone calls. But in the midsummer of 2018, a black student at Smith College named Umu, and I'm doing my best here, really. It's O-U-M-O-U. Umu, perhaps, is what I'm going to go with there. Canute, K-A-N-O-U-T-E, or Canute. So Umu Canute, at any rate. Doing my best with the pronunciation there, not being disrespectful. A black student at the college went on Facebook and told the story of a distressing American tale. She was eating lunch in a dorm lounge when a janitor and a campus police officer walked over and asked her what she was doing there. The officer, she said, could have been carrying a lethal weapon. He wasn't. But it still left her near a meltdown condition, she wrote and said on Facebook. She declared that she was targeted because she's black. She said, all I did was be black. It's outrageous that some people question my being at Smith College and my existence overall as a woman of color. 
the janitor who called the campus police officer on her was put on paid leave. And the, uh, rather a cafeteria worker or food service worker who was also involved in the story, story has since lost her job and can't find another one because she has been branded a racist. Here's the backstory. The ACLU declared this to be a woman being profiled for eating while black. But here's the, the, um, uh, the, the rest of the story. Ms. Canute was eating in a deserted dorm room that had been closed for the summer and was off limits to all people on the campus. The janitor saw her in the closed dorm that was off limits and had been encouraged by his bosses to notify security if he saw unauthorized people there. The janitor did his job and saw somebody in there, didn't want to confront her himself, called campus security. The campus security officer showed up and, like all campus police, was unarmed and asked her why she was in there. A simple question of why is a person in a place that is off limits right now because it's closed for the summer turned into questioning her existence as a black person. Why are you here on this campus at Smith College? I won't go into the details of the New York Times story because I would never encourage somebody to read the New York Times. But, and I simply don't have the time for all of this now. But suffice it to say, now how did the cafeteria worker get involved in all of this? Well, apparently, the cafeteria, there was a cafeteria worker who also um, questioned something that this particular student did. When she came into a hall which was providing lunch not for students, not for students, this was a special event for visitors. She came in there and got food at a place that was not for her. It was for the visitors. Understand that? This particular worker told her that. You shouldn't be in here taking this food because this is not for students. This is for a special event and visitors. She took that to declare that cafeteria worker a racist, denounced her for daring to tell her that she wasn't allowed to eat there or eat from that particular lunch serving because she was black, of course. So bottom line here, here is a student who made a point of challenging every rule and every uh, norm or every uh, you know aspect of campus life that was supposed to be followed. And then anytime somebody called her on it, used her race as a defense for her actions. Jackie Blair, that's the name of the cafeteria employee who mentioned that to Ms. Canute when she saw her getting lunch in a place she wasn't supposed to, uh, and then decided to drop it. She didn't pursue it. She just said, hey, you're not supposed to be eating that. But she used this and went on Facebook and declared this woman to be a racist. The janitor, who, by the way, was in his 60s and of poor sight, he's a racist. The security officer who confronted her and said, you're not supposed to be in there, he's a racist. And this is 2021 now. This all happened in the summer of 2018. Three years later, they are all still suffering from it.
Jackie Blair, the cafeteria worker, she was furloughed, along with some other workers, but furloughed because of the coronavirus. Smith College said, between the virus and the empty dorms, we don't need you. So obviously she's like, okay, it happens to people. So she's applying for other jobs. And when she applies for other jobs, the first thing that the managers ask her is, oh, because they recognize your name, aren't you the one that was involved in that incident? And she said, I didn't do anything wrong. And they said, well, we're all set. The managers say, we're all set. We don't need you. She can't get a job because she's been branded a racist by a race hoax. This is the same kind of crap that goes on at Oberlin College, to kind of go back to my analogy or my comparison, all the time. It's, it's Jussie Smollett-esque. And we can just go on and on down the list of all the race hoaxes, but the bottom line is this girl was in a place she wasn't supposed to be, and she was eating lunch that she wasn't supposed to be eating. And when the cafeteria worker says, hey, you're not supposed to do that, when the janitor calls the security guard, which is what he is supposed to do when somebody is in a closed building that is off limits, they, she, she turns it into, you don't want me here because I'm black. You're questioning my existence as a person of color on the Smith campus because I'm black. And the workers are tired of it. I was pissed, if you'll excuse that, was what uh, uh, Jackie Blair said. I told her I didn't do anything wrong, nothing. And she said, well, we're all set. She can't get hired. What do I do, she asked. When does the racist label go away? The ACLU's response to this was, very briefly, being called and branded a racist pales in comparison to actually uh, living through racism. In other words, the ACLU doesn't care that someone has been falsely branded, uh, branded a racist because that's not as bad as being a person of color and actually living through racism. You think about that. You'll twist your mind into a pretzel. You haven't lived racism yourself, so therefore being accused of being a racist isn't bad enough for us to care about you. I would argue that's crap. That's garbage. There are very few things, particularly in this time in our existence, very few things that you can be called that are worse than being called a racist. Because that label will stick with you, and you will have to be the one that is scientifically impossible, and that's to prove a negative. You have to prove that you're not something that you have been branded as. And if you try too hard to prove that you're not, you will be accused of being defensive, which is one of the tools of white supremacy. Remember the Coke story? How to be less white? Don't be so defensive. So if you defend yourself against allegations of racism, it's proof of your racism. That, uh, that's an unbelievable story, but sadly it is all too believable. Uh, Wally is in Brooklyn on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Wally. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Hey, listen, uh, about the race card issue. Uh, race card issue. Um, yeah, you know what? This is exactly what the Democrats want. They want to bring a civil war. Uh, by having this uh, race card issue always being used, you know, as soon as somebody's slightly offended or or they think something wasn't said in the proper way. And this is exactly what the Democrats' goal is. And then also, um, in regard to the Heritage Act, 
you know, I'm looking at, you know, what the Bible says. And in Genesis 1, it says, um, God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And then they are to multiply. If you look at the gay community, you will notice that in couples of gay couples, usually there is one that is the prominent male and one that is the prominent female. They still act out male and female, which goes right back to what God said. He created them male and female. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, analysis, uh, Wally. And uh, your point about the division, and thank you so much for the phone call, is spot on. Um, it is a it is a classic um, tactic of Marxists. Um, they know that they cannot enact the type of society and class that they want um, against a unified body, a unified country. They have to split it. They have to divide it. They have to create factions. It's, this is classic Marxism. You can look it up. You can study it. They have to create two different opposing factions, and the two of them cannot be equal in their, um, in their strength. One side has to be the, the oppressor. The other side has to be the victim. And when one side is constantly oppressing the victim side, um, then you can start to build within the victim side a belief in what you are trying to impose when you start talking about uh, Marxist beliefs and Marxist uh, ideology. Because they, of course, will say that the current system, the capitalist system, the liberty, constitutional liberty, liberty uh, that we enjoy here isn't working for them because they are being constantly oppressed. So now you have at least half the population including some who are not victims but who sympathize or empathize with the victims, agreeing that this isn't working, we are now open to new ideas. So you're right. They're trying to drive a wedge between the races, a deeper one than we have felt since since the passage of the Civil Rights Act, for crying out loud. Um, and it's not by accident. It is with intent, it is with purpose, and it is, uh, it is not going to stop. And this is what we have to contend with. Okay, 1051, time out. More calls right after this, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1054, we'll go uh, right back to the phones. We're going to talk to Lisa. Hey, it's not Friday. Lisa Woods? Is this the Lisa Woods from Medina County Friends and Neighbors? <laughs> it is. Thanks, Bob. Good morning. I don't expect to see your name on the call screen uh, until Friday. So what's going on today? <laughs> well, same thing. We have a meeting on Saturday, but sometimes Fridays get kind of busy, and uh, I'm oh, driving okay. around a lot. So I thought, well, I better get in now. I, and, I can uh, understand that. That sounds good. What's coming up on uh, Saturday, then? You know, talking about what we can do on the state level. You know, when the federal level is driving us crazy, it's it's comforting to know that we can actually talk to our state representatives right here in Ohio and keep our states strong. So we have Scott Wiggum, Sharon Ray, and Daryl Kick. All three are Ohio House representatives that will speaking about the, the, the things that they're working on. And also, you know, we'll hear our concerns. It's a give-take relationship at McFan, you know, so that they know, um, you know, what's, what's on the top of our list as well. 
Are they going to speak to the um, uh, the Senate bill that passed that is coming over to the House now over uh, uh, restricting some of the governor's uh, powers when it comes to responding to the pandemic? Well, I would think uh, Representative Scott Wiggum would be excellent to speak on that, and I'm sure that he will since he was presiding over those hearings. I actually watched the, the whole clip of uh, uh, Attorney Tom Rents speak um, and I kind of shared that around. So those of you that have seen that, the fellow that was presiding over that was Scott Wiggum. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that or didn't connect them. So that's good to know. Uh, and I hope people will come there and, uh, and do exactly that. Um, uh, we'll ask those questions. I remember when I presented a, about a month ago, uh, you know, we had a great time for the presentation. A lot of great questions from the attendees at the event. So hopefully people will ask about those important things. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of distrust right now. Um, I'm not. I'm not afraid to say, Lisa, of our general right. assembly and some of our representation, because given the numbers that we have uh, in terms of you know Republican slash conservative um, majorities, we ought to be getting a lot of very important things done that aren't being done because not everybody is on board, and that's very frustrating. So I hope that everybody who's got a question about that will show up on Saturday morning and ask them of all of the uh, the speakers that you have. Super. Absolutely. We, we need to have that dialogue. Yeah, and no question What better about time it. than now? And also, what's really important is, you know, the state budget is going through its, its course. And it is so important to understand what they're talking about. You know, but for instance, like education. Um, if, if you talk about cutting the education budget, everybody's like, oh, you know, you don't want to cut that, right? Education's so important. But what are we really cutting? Can we cut out some of the bureaucracy by cutting back the, the budget? And, and by well, yeah, it's not hearings. as if the money, it's not if the money, but as if the money budgeted to the, uh, to the education department is going to the kids' pockets or going specifically <laughs> to, you know, to buy, you know, new things for educational materials or whatever the case might be. Uh, you're right. There's so much waste in the, in the bureaucracy of the department and really of the state, quite frankly, in general. Uh, that's where, you know, what we call trimming the fat, things that are not necessary. Right. So by having these conversations, it helps us all understand. And then it also helps us understand, like, what we should be writing, you know, some of those other state representatives that, you know, weren't at the meeting so that they know where we're coming from and why we want these changes made. So a lot of the things that can be, that can happen, can happen through the budget. And it's a very important time for people to kind of, you know, take a look and send out an email or two when you see things that matter to you most, right? Completely agree. Uh, so uh, Saturday morning, give everybody the where and when again. Sure. It's going to be at the Thirsty Cowboy right at 71 and 18 at the Antique Mall, also known as Plaza 71. And um, that's this Saturday, 8.30 a.m. till 10 a.m. Uh, and that the, the address at Thirsty Cowboy is 2743 Medina Road. All right. Well, uh, it's always good to hear from you, Lisa. Thanks very much for the information, and have a great event on Saturday morning. Thanks so much. All right. That's going to do it for us. I'm glad she mentioned the name Tom Renz, because last night was our February webinar in which Peter Kersenow for Citizens for Free Speech spoke for about 45 minutes talking about the First Amendment. Our uh, March webinar is set for March 18th, and our guest presenter that day will be... Tom Renz, uh, attorney and uh, founder of Ohio Stands Up. So uh, that's just a little bit of a kind of a teaser for you. That's all the time we've got for today. Stay right here for Gallagher next. AM 1420, The Answer. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.